Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, and we are coming to you live again with another conversation on discovering and delving deep through the wonder and mystery and amazing book called Becoming Your Own Banker. This is by Nelson Nash himself, and he is the father of infinite banking. We are now on episode 11 for walking through this book from cover to cover. And we're on a journey because it's taking a while to unpack all of the rich, just depth that is in this book. So today we want to let you know, we are covering something called use it or lose it. If you are following along in the book, this is in the fifth edition, we're on page 35. And we've had several great episodes leading up to this point I'm really excited about today's episode because there's so much packed into this that really shows the depth of how to make sure that infinite banking is going to work for you, not just as a mindset shift, but in your actual practical everyday life. Bruce, thank you so much for joining me again for this great conversation. Yeah. So what's interesting about this is that um, one of our good friends, James Nethery, who's another certified Nelson Nash practitioner, um, and Jason Lowe, who's one of our uh, show's friends, another certified Nelson Nash practitioner in Canada, have both made the comment that lately, when they have been speaking to different audiences, they have asked people, they've actually raised up the book and said, who knows about this book? And people raise their hands, actually. Not this side, but this side. <laughs> and he said that it's amazing how many people, and these are at conferences where they're not necessarily infinite, talking about infinite banking, but they're there to speak to one was, was a dentist, another was business owners. And they, they were surprised that more than 90% of the people knew about infinite banking. Then they actually ask about, um, Jason actually, uh, had on the slide a picture of Nelson Nash and people and they asked if people knew who this was and he said in a in a crowd of about 60 to 80 people only one or one to three people raised their hands okay and it was very bo- and James had a similar situation it was very bothersome because what was determined through that is that the message of infinite banking is getting watered down or bastardized through a variety of social media channels and not realizing that Nelson Nash is what we often refer to this as the Bible. And a lot of people now have taken it, the concept, because it's such a great concept to live your life. It's a great financial tool, but it's also just a great emotional tool for you and people have taken it <clears throat> and actually have put their own little spin on it, their own, their own little uh, way to just market it. And it is really becoming a problem that people do not know the, the total truth. And Nelson once said in a small group that this will only flourish when we get the insurance companies behind us. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is, is that the insurance companies tend to be, they try to be agnostic for the most part. There, there's, some ex, there's some exceptions to that. But then we recently had Mass Mutual come out and, and denounce the infinite banking concept. But what was ironic about it is they were denouncing something that was called the infinite banking concept, but it wasn't actually the infinite banking concept. And that's the watering down part we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So some of our listeners may know this, but I am on the Nelson Nash uh, Institute's Practitioners Council, so the Advisory Council. And one of the things we talked about yesterday is to bring Nelson more back into the forefront so that people have to understand that the truth comes from Nelson's way of doing it. Now, it is true because one of the arguments all the time is, well, things have changed in the last 
when the book came out in 2000, things have changed, not only in mortality, uh, products that the insurance company has, uh, modified endowment contract limits, you know, so on and so forth. But as Nelson would say, that doesn't make any difference. <laughs> it's not about the rates of return. It's not about the illustration. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 about, it's about who controls the banking function and the cost of capital. And so I just thought it was uh, ironic that we just talked about this in the, in the practitioners, practitioners Council today. And we're going to talk about this uh, today as far as our book review. You know, Bruce, that reminds me of people who would say the Bible is not relevant today because it was written so many years ago in a different time, a different culture for a different group of people. They didn't understand our Western mindset and our culture today, but that's not the point. The point is that when you have truth and you have principles, they apply equivalently to any people, any group, any place, any time the semantics or maybe the details are going to change, but the principles stay the same. And that's really where I think this chapter hits the heart of, because this is talking about the the principle or the paradigm of infinite banking. And how do you support that paradigm with your lifestyle? How do you make sure your life lines up with your paradigm so you don't just have a great idea in your mind, but your your actions and your habits are going a different direction that's pulling you away from that new paradigm. So I'm going to unpack just a little bit of the earlier portion of the book leading up to this. And um, just really quickly, in case you're not as familiar with infinite banking, most of you probably have been listening to us for a long time. And so I encourage you not to tune out. But what we're talking about here is a concept that Nelson Nash first discovered when he was in a tight financial situation and really just everything was against him. And he realized that he had access to capital through some whole life insurance policies that he'd been paying into for many years. He had cash value there and he had the ability to access it without having to qualify, without having to pay the same rate of interest that he was being required of by the banks. And he was in a position where he said, oh my goodness, I did not even think to turn to this cash value in my whole life insurance policies, but it's it saved him financially. And because of that, he said, I want to make this message known to everyone because the only limit to how much capital you can access in your infinite banking policies, your whole life insurance policies, is how much you've put in in the first place. And the challenge is that a lot of times if somebody doesn't understand the concept of infinite banking and the power of being able to not only have a death benefit that pays to your heirs and creates multi-generational wealth, but also provides lifetime benefits through the cash value that you can access and use. If somebody doesn't understand that, they're probably not going to fund it in a way that's going to be most effective and productive in their lives. But Nelson doesn't stop with just unpacking the technical semantics, the details, the here's how life insurance works, here's how exactly to use it. He really talks about how to use it as a banking system, how to recover the banking function in your life. And really, he says the crux is the person who, or the person, the industry, the the group of people that controls capital is in control. And instead of just looking to the banks and the mortgage companies and everyone's, the investment companies and saying, well, they control capital, they make all the decisions, I have to be subservient to them and I have to beg and borrow for access to my own money. Instead, he said, we can act as or model the banking industry and we can take over the banking function by storing capital and then having access to that capital. But what I love is that even beyond that paradigm, then he talks about the way that we think as humans, because that's the main thing that gets in the way of being able to actually use this properly. And it's all of these challenges. We have this arrival syndrome. We think we know it all. We have the Parkinson's law, this challenge of we want to spend everything that we make and it's human nature. I mean, it's not even something that you can put a fault on one individual person or say you're to blame for this. We have this gigantic amount of human nature we have to overcome to be successful in using infinite banking. And then he comes to this last piece in this human problem. And this is the use it or lose it. And what's very interesting here is that Bruce, whenever I think of use it or lose it, the first thing that comes to mind is vacation time. You know, in people's jobs, oftentimes they'll have vacation that you can use 
or lose. And so it's this motivation. I've got to use this right now, or I'm going to lose the opportunity to have this benefit in my life. But it also equates to things like using our brain, using our muscles, using certain kinds of intelligence. If, if we don't continue to practice and use our brains well and use certain muscles, they'll atrophy. We will regress from a condition or a situation that we originally had achieved. So you could think of a bodybuilder, you know, having lifted a lot of weights and being in a position of great fitness and health, and then they stop working out, they're not going to maintain that physique and that structure. So really, this is about how do we maintain the traction that we've gained in infinite infinite banking? Yeah, I think um, as we go through the book, you know, when I go on Amazon, and I do this occasionally, even though I have many of these books uh, of Nelson's that I hand out, I look at the, um, I look at the ratings that people mm-hmm. do. Most of them are very, very positive. The ones that are not positive is they'll say something like, oh, it's just a bunch of folksy stuff talking about the way you think, not much financial information in it. And I would say that means that person has the arrival syndrome. They mm-hmm. think already, they already know everything and they don't understand that you must overcome the human condition. Rachel, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And I have tried to help people get out of debt and change their mindset. And unfortunately, I can only think of two times where that person actually was able to do it and change their mindset. And because it's it's much like um, it's much like an alcoholic, you know, they they can't do it on their own. And even if they go through Alcoholics Anonymous, and I have some really good friends that are recovering alcoholics, and we talk about this kind of stuff, to, that alcoholism is not about the alcohol itself. It's about the way you think about yourself. It's the way you think about life. It's the way you think about your relationship with others. It's, it's, it's the way you think about your relationship with yourself, your relationship with God, so on and so forth. And you have to have you have to have a supporting cast around you to actually help you out through this. What was oh, interesting absolutely. is, yeah, just yesterday, I met with a money advantage potential client. Her name, by the way, was Rachel. And uh, she's out of San Diego. And she was drowning in credit card debt and personal uh, loans that she got from the bank and a loan she got from her father and student loan debt. Mm. And she kind of hit rock bottom like a lot of alcoholic or uh, al- alcoholics do. And she decided to, she was going to change her way of life. And she's been working and she's been listening to us, she said, for years. But mm. she was like, she was like, I don't want to reach out to them because I don't have any capital. And now she's slowly uh, uh, working her way through that. Mm. And she That's has awesome. proven to me, yeah, she has proven to me that she has because. She started a house sitting business and she's gotten so creative. Nelson would have loved her. She's gotten so creative that she doesn't even have her own personal residence now. She goes from house sitting to house sitting to house sitting. So she doesn't have the expenses of a personal residence. So now she uses that extra money mm. to pay off. But it's really hard on her, obviously, because she doesn't have any personal things. She has to move from place to place to place. But she said, I must do this to get my life in control. Then mm-hmm. I talked to another That's person. That's a true mindset shift. Her actions yes. are lining up with a new mindset. Correct. And then I talked to another person later on in the day. And um, Nelson may not be as happy with him because he's all—he's not about having an emergency fund. Any money he makes, it just he just deploys right away. You know, he just gets it into action. He's an investor. And he, I, I, got, I have to invest. I have to invest. So he has no emergency savings. He has he's he doesn't value just the capital for the future. And so when when a person makes a negative comment about oh this is just folksy stuff from some old guy, you know, and I really want I really need to know the financial stuff, you know, where do I put my money? Where do I do this and that? This is why this is going to be time tested and last for generations if people really understand 
It's about the human condition and not about the money situation. Oh, Bruce, I I feel like there's so many times that people want a solution outside of themselves. And I don't know any better way to say this, but if you are looking for an answer that is in a product or a strategy or some new magic bullet somehow, you'll never find the answer you're looking for because usually it has to do with the way that you are operating and thinking. I should say thinking first, the way you're thinking, the way you're operating, that's causing the challenge. It's not the it's not that you have the wrong strategy. It's that you have the wrong thinking. And Bruce, this leads me to another big idea around this whole like, this whole thought of use it or lose it. And ultimately, we're going to get into the power of habit today because that's really what Nelson was talking about with this really short, power-packed, one-page chapter. But I think there's so many times people have a mindset around money that they would like to do something automatic because it's easy. So for instance, they would like to have something that just comes out of their paycheck every month that goes into an investment. And that's why the 401k, that's why um, putting money into qualified plans has gained so much traction because it's very easy. You set it up one time, you never have to think about it again. And there's this component that is really attractive because it is automatic. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to use my mental energy anymore to continue to get this result. It's going to just happen for me unless I make a change otherwise. And when you come to the infinite banking concept, a lot of times people say, well, you know, it's not really so automatic. Um, It's not something that I can just set and forget. And the truth is you don't want it to be something that you just set and forget because we want to have a way to have ideal habits set up in our life. The habit is what then freeze up your mind to not have to think again, do I want to make this decision or do I not want to make this decision? You have to figure out where the habit is and where you want to have an automatic mechanism in your financial life. And here's what I mean by that. Anytime you put a habit in place, let's just say, for instance, I think this one is probably one of the easiest examples. If you have somebody who says, I am vegan, I do not eat meat. I don't eat any meat products. I don't eat eggs. I don't eat honey. I don't eat dairy. They have a rule in their life. That's a a hard and fast rule that they've set up. It's not optional. It's not, you know, maybe I'll eat this hamburger today or maybe I won't. Maybe I will um, have to make a decision based on the societal factors, based on who's watching, based on whether they're going to be offended if I don't eat the food they prepared for me, whether it's going to be fun, whether I'm going to be left out. They don't have to have any of that. They just say, I am this, therefore I make this decision. It's like a it narrows down your choices, which frees up your mind to focus on other things. But we don't often have that kind of decision in our life in other ways. We say, well, you know, this is what I generally like, or this is what I generally want, but then we have to make a decision every single time. And that causes a lot of mental energy to be used up for those that decision-making process. So what we ultimately want with the automatic process is to have easier decisions so that we can not have to think about it every single time but it's not in having an automatic mechanism in your financial system as much as it is an automatic habit that you've put in place because your habits ultimately determine the direction of your life and they free up, they free you up to be able to have mental energy in other areas. And so I think, I think ultimately Nelson was talking about how do your habits support your paradigm of infinite banking? How do your habits line up with and make sure that you're always going in the direction of this new mindset of having control of capital, access to capital, your own banking system, and being in a position of financial control. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's dive into this. It's a fairly short chapter, but it's a power, it's a powerful chapter. And Nelson, um, he actually reviews the points that he's already talked about Parkinson's law, Willie Sutton's law, the golden rule the arrival syndrome, and now use it or lose it. And um, he says you you have to do, they all have to do with overcoming human nature, which is what you've been talking about at the beginning part of this uh, podcast. He says it's like recognizing the fact that we must attend to body hygiene or face the consequences. Don't brush your teeth regularly and they will rot. Mm-hmm. And And that's the thing that we... You know, I I talk about a lot of times with different people. It's like you're going to pay for it one way or the other. You're either going to pay for it at the beginning by good discipline, 
Are you going to pay for it at the end because you're undisciplined? You're going to pay for it one way, one way or the other. And that's what he's actually talking about this. The arrival syndrome, as, he, as we talked about last time, produced a comfort zone that causes people to lapse into their old ways of doing things. And that's why I'm always uh, happy and thankful that people on the podcast, and we have several people that are live listening right now, <clears throat> it is important that you understand that this is a human condition, and that's why you need good people in your life. And I'm not necessarily trying to say we're the, we're the good people in your life, but we are people that are giving you a consistent message that should help you obtain your goals. I have a business coach. I also am married, and I think marriage is really good because the, your partner can actually tell you when you're actually going off the rails. Your good, friends can, your good friends can do that too. And so we need people in our lives. This is one of the things that I think the isolation of social media now with young people, you know, spending so much time in social media, they're, they're more isolated and they may not have those good mentors or just good friends in their lives that can help them along the way. This is no different than uh, uh, Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach, who I've been a part of before also. He mentions that the difference between, or the, um, excuse me, the most successful people in the world, if you're talking about time and money freedom, are athletes and entertainers. And athletes and entertainers all surround themselves with good mentors because they know it's very, very difficult for them to obtain the good habits without having those people in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so they know they need to help have people help them overcome all these things we've already been talking about. And so at the bottom of this particular paragraph, um, he's, Nelson says, I know this is difficult. He says, I illustrate the point by telling people what I'm teaching is equivalent to teaching that the world is round when most people think it is flat. And these are the different things that have come up in the, in the human development over the years that I, I went through it in, in grade school in the 70s when the calculator came out and it was very prevalent. You know, a lot of people say, well, this is a, you should never use a calculator because you'll never understand mathematics if you don't, if you don't do it on a piece of paper and, and do it longhand. And now we just think that's totally silly. Um, <laughs> I mean, now, certainly, if you gave a first grader a calculator, told them they never needed to learn how to add and subtract and multiply and divide, you'd have a really big problem because I don't think you could understand math very well with that. But once you have the fundamentals, the calculator helps you do so much more. My goodness. Yeah. So um, we have to overcome this. But my point is that we have to continue to have somebody check in with ourselves and make sure we're on the right path. And that's why we as a community, a Nelson Nash Institute community, uh, require that you're, you're regularly reviewing with your clients because the aha moments happen during, during your review sessions. I, I, it happens all the time. Oh, that's why we're doing it like this. Oh, I forgot that you mentioned that. Oh, yes, this is a good way of doing things. I hear those kind of things all the time. You know, Bruce, it's so interesting. So Nelson talks about this whole concept of the infinite or this whole idea of the infinite banking concept is a completely different paradigm. It's a personal monetary system. So what he is saying in that is that it's a completely different way of handling your personal finances, not just a product that you have. It's not just that, oh, I purchased life insurance versus I purchased an investment. He's saying, I am instead thinking about my entire financial life in a different way. And let's just expound on that for a little bit, because I think the normal way of thinking about your financial life is here, I have money that comes in. I spend my money. Usually a lot of the money is spent. It's normal that we just use credit cards and we have loans and we have um, this idea in our culture that we pay off our loans as quickly as possible. And that's good financial stewardship. And again, I'm saying this idea that's very prevalent. I'm not saying that that's true or the way that we should think. And then we have this idea that I just need to get a high enough rate of return 
on my investments where I put my money somewhere and that means it's working for me that when I get to age 65 or whatever my desired retirement timeframe is, I'm going to then withdraw the interest from my investments and hopefully maintain the principal and hopefully not run out of money and be able to live well into the future. The problem is this paradigm doesn't really work from the majority of people, and yet we're still trying to make it work. And it's there's just so many broken components of that way of thinking. But if you shift your mindset over to a different monetary system, you're not just thinking, well, how do I get a good rate of return? And how do I pay off my debt as quick as possible? And how do I buy the stuff that I really want to buy with the income that I have and still be able to invest a little bit on the side? Really, you're thinking completely differently. You're thinking, how do I save first? How do I put my capital from the money that I'm making? First of all, how do I increase my earnings by maximizing my potential, serving people with more value? So I'm increasing my income. Then I'm thinking, how do I preserve as much of this as possible? How do I pay myself first? And that means, how do I save before I spend? Because savings is a priority and building up capital is a priority. Then we think in the infinite banking paradigm of a monetary system, we're thinking, how do I control capital so that I have that capital accessible when a deal comes that I really want to put money into because it's the right deal, not because it's the flashiest deal or it's the thing that everyone else is investing in or it's you know the the one stock that's going up today and we think it's going to be hot it's instead it's thinking from a position of control and not losing money and maintaining your capital and bruce i think it's just so far removed from the typical way of thinking about money that sometimes we can have all of these negative ideas about using infinite banking things like well, why would I just want to put my money on the sidelines and let it sit there and do nothing for me when it could instead be working harder in an investment? Or or is it earning a rate of return equal to what I could get in this other investment over here? And we compare it, people compare it to investments all the time. It's all because their paradigm is a completely different monetary system. And so I think that at the core is really important to recognize about infinite banking, that you're stepping into a totally different paradigm of controlling capital, controlling the banking function, and being in a position where you're not having to beg and borrow from someone else and pay them interest, you're instead able to borrow against your own capital. And that leads us over into the economic value added concept. But um, Bruce, is there anything else you want to add to that idea of just the separation of identity? uh, of? Yeah, there's (laughs) all kinds. First of all, I want to shout out to JJ Joyce and uh, your traveling partner and Fritz, who are, you know, they're they're great contributors every week, and we really appreciate you. And um, yeah, there's so many things I want. I, I'd like to talk about Rachel. It, you know, the other the other problem that we have to overcome, and I I talked about this with with Nelson uh, several years before his death, is that excuse me, our own government doesn't even have sound money principles. Mm-hmm. And so, and so we're no, inundated. If they did, we wouldn't be in such skyrocketing debt that we have no way to pay. No. And then, and then the, and then the flip side of it is then people say, then people say, well, the only reason we're borrowing money from ourselves, when I say ourselves, the U S citizens and other people around the world, whether it be China, uh, whether it be India, uh, parts of Europe, by buying our bonds, that's how they they contribute. Um, what happens in that situation is we get this sense that people say, "Well, we're borrowing all this money because we're trying to do good in the you know in our country or even in the world." And the problem with that is is that you're eventually going to have to pay that back. Mm-hmm. So, example, you know, we as individuals could be borrowing money and paying, or I'm sorry, giving it to charities. You know, we could do that, but there's going to, there's going to be a time when we can no longer do that because, because people have stopped lending us money mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to actually give the charities. And so the, the actual borrowing costs of our $31 trillion, trillion of debt. Yeah. Would be very similar to if somebody in their own household had $100,000 of credit card debt, 
at 19 to 29%. And so they're, they're paying between $19,000 and $29,000 a year just to service that debt. That is nineteen to twenty nine thousand dollars that could be going to be used in a more useful way instead of just paying paying debt. And our own country is doing the same thing. So yeah, we have all these great programs, supposedly great programs, and I'm not arguing that whether they're great or not. But uh, we are paying so much in the debt now that we cannot use that capital to actually fund those kind of programs. If we would have, oh, if we would, if we would save first and then spend, and our own friend Dr. Bob Murphy, an Austrian economist, has talked about this on the show, then it would be a much more efficient way, and you would have to actually have discipline on where you spend your money. Which is that is a, good financial management, except for right. we don't see that being played out with the government at all, right? Um. <laughs> And that's the problem because the government is spending someone else's money. Mm-hmm. So you never take care of capital when it's someone else's money like you do when it's your money. And uh, that is the really, really big issue. And once again, that's a human condition. You know, Bruce, it's interesting. You said we never take care of someone else's money the way that we take care of our own money. And yet uh, Nelson brings into this particular chapter Again, he he's brought it up before in the book, but this concept of economic value added. And I just want to make a quick um, synopsis of what this actually means. It was a concept that um, came about where corporations began to recognize that their own capital had a cost. Yes. Meaning, if I borrow from the bank, I'm going to pay 8% interest. The original thought before economic value added came out and was understood was that if I've saved money that in my business, then I can just use my own cash and it's zero cost because I'm paying cash. And the problem is most Americans think this way too. We think if I get a loan, I'm going to pay this interest. So if I'm going to be responsible my other option besides borrowing and paying interest is I'm going to go ahead and pay cash. Well, the problem with that thinking is that cash is not free because you had to put it in savings in the first place and it could be doing something else besides whatever you're putting it to work for. And if it could potentially have earned something more than what you're using it for, that is your cost of capital. And so corporations began to recognize that their cash, their own cash in their own um you could call it a corporate monetary system, I guess. It's not a personal monetary system, but if the corporation is managing their resources and they're saving and they're putting reserves aside, then they have a corporate monetary system that they're functioning with. And if they're in a position where they say, I now recognize my own cash has a cost, I'm going to pay myself whenever I use cash. I'm going to pay back at interest because I've taken away from this reserve. And instead of just borrowing or taking money out of my reserve, I'm going to put it back with interest. And so what happened with that whole concept is that uh, many corporations who began using it became very successful, including um, companies like Coca-Cola. And this was around 1993. 96. Well, 93, it came out, but 96 Coca-Cola was then, was deemed the most admired company in America. And they actually adopted this philosophy of EBA or economic value. Which then that just overlays onto our own personal monetary system. If we think I have stored up this cash, I have my personal reserves. Now I'm going to use that money. I'm going to pay cash, if you will. Let's not just pay cash and assume it has zero cost. Let's instead pay ourselves back with interest, recognizing that that money could have done something else for us. And we're losing out on that opportunity cost of what it could have produced if we put it to work somewhere else. And so then there's a follow-up story in Fortune magazine in May of 1995 titled EVA works, but not if you make these common mistakes. And it said, these are the mistakes that companies were using when they were trying this new mindset. So they were trying to operate in a new paradigm, but their habits hadn't caught up yet. I think that's probably the easiest way of thinking about what was happening here. Um, So here was the um, problems that they were doing. They don't make it a way of life. So EVA wasn't a way of life for them. 
Most managers try to implement EVA too fast. The boss lacks conviction. Managers fuss too much and training gets short shrift. So basically what they were saying is that if you want a new idea to work for you, you have to have habits that support that idea. And if your habits don't support that idea and make it more automatic for you, you're going to lose what you were trying to gain by changing your mindset in the first place. And so Bruce, you know, I think I get Rachel, I actually prepared, I actually prepared for these things. And I'd like to make a, a couple comments about this. Yeah. So at the very at the very beginning, they don't make it a way of life. You know, Nelson used to talk about this all the time. Um, this is not something that you try. Okay. This is something that you you need to make it a way of life. I'll give you an example of it. It's like uh, people say, January 1st, I'm going to start being healthy. And then they start eating healthy that one day, maybe two days, maybe three days, maybe four days. And then the fifth day, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to eat healthy for the first meal. And then oh, I'm just going to have this the next time. And Ice cream. That candy bar looks yeah. too good. Yep. Right. It, it's a oh, slippery I already salt. ate a candy bar yesterday, so I'm going to go ahead and have two today because I already blew it. Yep. Those things. Yep. Yep. And the interesting, um, then they say, see, I told you this, this, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Eating healthy did not help me. And I think this is the same thing that happens when people get excited about changing their monetary policies with uh, using the infinite banking concept. Then they, they do it for a month or two or three. And then they say, oh, well, wait a minute. I, I really want that car. I don't have enough cash value yet, so I'm just going to go get a loan, and then the next car I'll do it. But then what they don't realize is that car, they actually are now paying interest to somebody else, and their capital had a cost because they probably put some down on the car, you know, so on and so forth, and they, they decide it doesn't work. So they don't make it a way of life. Then the next part is most managers try to implement EVA too fast. Mm-hmm. I would say this would be an example of the new way of thinking of you got to have a really skinny base policy so that you can get as much as you can get as much PUAs right away so you can get as much cash value right away. Oh, this yeah. is this is support this is out there in the in the social media world is oh I found a better way of doing the Nelson Nash concept. And I've actually had people call me on um an IBC leftist because I am I am so adamant about following Nelson Nash's teaching, even though people think they found a better way. Well, it's a short term better way. Yes, mm-hmm. could you get cash value sooner? Absolutely, but they don't explain. They do not explain the hazards of doing that. One of the biggest hazards of doing that is what Nelson used to talk about is. You, that's short-term thinking. Mm-hmm. And if that's short-term thinking, then you are not thinking long range and you will not implement this uh, in your life on an ongoing process. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, <laughs> there's actually a lot of financial implications to that next. The, the next part is the boss lacks conviction. Well, you're the boss in this situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you need to have conviction. In the corporate world, the reason that the boss lacks conviction, for the most part, is because they're working on 90-day increments because they have, to, they have to report their earnings every 90 days, and that affects the stock price. The boss's compensation is affected by the stock price, and most CEOs of companies have, are very short-lived. Why? Because they are recruited because of their wisdom and their track record. So Coca-Cola is not going to get a 30-year-old as a CEO. They're going to get a 55, a 60-year-old, a 65-year-old who really just wants to pump. And I know I'm being a little cynical here, but this is what happens in reality. They're going to get a base salary. They're going to get stock options for the next five, 10 years. They're trying to pump up. They're going to try to pump up the stock price under any situation, even though it's not sound, so that when they exit, the stock price is high as possible, so their exit package is possible. 
So that boss lacks conviction. Managers fuss too much. <laughs> this is what I would call majoring. That what Nelson used to always talk about is majoring in the minors. That's awesome. You know, you're, yeah, it's, he he would say, "Oh, well, you're focusing too much on on the minor things, which is rates of returns, or how much interest do I have to pay, or um, do I really have to make this premium payment every month?" And he would always say, "You get to make this premium payment every month. This mm-hmm. is what you want to do." And then finally, training gets short uh, the short shrift. Gosh, this is really bad in the social media uh, way of life. If somebody, if you're doing business with somebody that is having a four to 10 minute phone call with you and just said, I'll send you an illustration, that's short term training. This is not something that you can overcome this process of your money habits by just four to 10 minutes. And here's an illustration. And if you're working with anybody like that, then you're not going to be able to overcome the use it or lose it syndrome. Bruce, that is fantastic. I love those parallels that you drew. And uh, that's just extremely powerful. And I think um, just really a huge benefit to looking at what types of habits we need to have if we're going to support this new mindset, this new paradigm and this new monetary system in our financial life. I think I almost think of it like um, being, becoming a Christian or, or changing your religious, um, value system as well. I mean, that also is not something you just try. You don't just dabble in, you don't just say, oh yeah, it felt like a great decision to make today. I have no idea why I chose that. And, and now I'm not having any supporting habits. You're not going to maintain that conviction. So it comes with conviction first. And Bruce, I think what I think would be really valuable to leave this episode with would be what are some habits that we can have inside of infinite banking to make sure that we're supporting that ideal new mindset. And I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is don't be afraid to capitalize. I mean, this was Nelson's, I don't remember which number of rule it was. Wasn't it his first rule? His first uh, of the five rules of the bank? Don't be afraid to yeah, capitalize. You know, it's either first or second. I always get the first and second ones mixed up. I know. He also said think long-term. Yeah. I, I think don't be afraid to capitalize might've been it's one of the most important ones, I think, because if you are in a position of recognizing that when you start an infinite banking policy, just exactly what you just said, Bruce, this whole idea of I get to pay premium every month, it's because I get to save, I get to put this capital over into a place where I can build up cash value and I'm working towards building that long-term death benefit that's going to create generational wealth that will pay out to my children, will take care of them, will will give them wealth as well. I mean, there's just so many long range benefits of this, but the idea of capitalizing is that if you start with a short-sighted goal and you just, you're all about the emotional hype, you've heard infinite banking is a great idea. You're not really sure what it's about yet. And you say, let's put as much premium in as possible day one. Well, that can be a, um, also another way of managers trying to implement EVA too quickly and not really thinking about the long-term because really what you need to do is look at your entire financial picture and make realistic ju- a realistic judgment about what you can pay in premium based on your income today because you want to be able to capitalize and continue to capitalize in the future. This isn't just something that you want to capitalize one year or plan to capitalize for two years or even seven years. You really want to capitalize this as long as possible. And ideally, you're going to start with the amount of um, dis- not disposable income, but your your gap, your cash flow, the amount that you have left over in your, or the amount that you can save, I should say, the amount that you can save today, which is going to increase with your better financial stewardship that you're going to continue adopting through your time, your your lifeline, your lifetime, and also with your rise in income or with any type of windfall that comes in or the sale of an investment or an inheritance that comes to you. So you're going to end up having more capital to work with and even better financial habits if you just get started. But you want a long-term view of capitalizing, not just a short-term view that then turns out two years from now saying, ah, you know, I can't pay the full premium. Can't really pay at all. I'm really frustrated with this. I've taken loans. Now do I pay the loan? Do I pay the premium back? You don't want to be in a situation where you're not able to capitalize in the future. You're handicapping yourself and your ability to really make this work for you well. Yeah, it's it's um, 
it's a comforting feeling when you're in control of your finances. <laughs> I don't know what, any other way of saying it. I mean, when you can when you can make a decision to purchase something or repair something, something comes up. I'll give you a great example. Um, uh, our one of our vehicles was like Nelson used to say. Mary, his wife, would get a vehicle every five years, whether she wanted it or not, <laughs> because he felt like it was the perfect time where depreciation slowed down. He could then trade it in. And the difference between the, the other car, he could just take a policy loan and then pay it off in five years and then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So we tend to do something similar to that, although we tend to hold our cars a little longer. I actually grew up in the car business. My first job, my uncle was a salesperson at a Chevrolet dealership. So I know of the power, of the negative power of depreciation. So I tend to hold my cars a little longer. But my point is, is that we recently... Uh, traded in a car and you have to go through the financing person, even if you don't finance, because they have to do the titling and so on and so forth. But really it's because they want to sell you an extended warranty. And that's, that could be a whole nother show, but extended warranty is simply an insurance and people don't think of it like that. And so we're going through this and the guy says, oh, you're going to pay cash. And that, that's because I'm paying for it through a policy loan. And I and he said, oh yeah. He goes, well, I was going to go over the payments for you because this is the way the human condition is set up. Car dealers, they don't really sell on the total price of the car. They sell on what you can, what your car payment you're comfortable making. Mm-hmm. They can care less about the total cost of the car. And he said, so I know you're going to pay cash. So let's go over your um, your extended warranty. And I said, I don't want an extended warranty. And he says, oh, well, you, you bought a car that breaks down. And I said, oh, so I bought a bad car. You know, I was trying to be a little flippant about it. I said, I, what, I, should I be nervous about this? Are you guys selling me a car that isn't very good? Oh, no, no. Oh, we're just saying that a modern car breaks down. And I said, oh, okay. So what is it going to cost me? He said, what's well, going to cost you an additional, forgot what it was, $179 a month. And I said, no, I don't want to know what the monthly payment. If I'm going to pay this, I'm going to pay it all one time. And, and uh, he said, well, it's going to be uh, $6,400. And I said, so I'm going to pay an additional $6,400 just on the off chance that my car breaks down. I said, no, I never, I never buy extended warranties. And he goes, you never buy extended warranties? I go, no. Instead, my wife and I store that money that we would be uh, using for extended warranties in our policies, our whole life policies. And then if we ever have a breakdown, then we have the cash available to go and fix the breakdown. So we are actually our own insurance company. And he was just fascinated by that. He, he said, well, most people don't have $6,400. I go, that's the key right there. What you said, most Absolutely. people do not have the $6,400. So they have to finance the insurance, which is a, which is the warranty. So that is a money habit. So mm-hmm. I would encourage our listeners, and we we have a bunch of them out there today. This is another part of understanding the value, the economic value of your capital. The economic value of my capital right there was that I did not have to pay for an extended warranty because I had the comfort, just like Nelson talked about. You can actually lower your car insurance to liability coverage instead of collision, because mm-hmm. if you have it, a collision, you have money to pay off the collision. Now, you have to or it's practice the same this. thing about raising your deductibles. If you have the capital on the side, deductible. you can raise your deductible, which then lowers your premium cost. Uh, people are shocked. I have a, a $15,000 deductible on my house. And when I talk to people all the time, they say, oh, my deductible is only $1,000 because if something happens, I don't want to have to come up with $15,000. And I said, well, yeah, but ask your broker how much extra you're paying every year because you only have a $1,000 deductible instead of a $15,000 deductible. I'm saving about $1,000 a year. Now, some people would say, yeah, but if you have a, if you have a, incident that's going to be wiped up wiped out you're going to have to actually 
have that savings for 10 years before you come even anywhere close. Yes, I'm my own insurance company. I'm mitigating the risk. Mm-hmm. But guess what? You're not going to have an incident every single year. Right. And guess what? That capital is doing something for me. Absolutely. There's a cost to that capital. So I have that capital. But it's just a, it, you have to change your way of thinking and get away from, you know, we always, I think you and I, we haven't said this in a long time. If you want uncommon results, then you have to do things in an uncommon way. The common yes. way of doing things is low deductibles, spending for, uh, spending for an extended warranty. But all those are, that's a cost of capital. And that's what this use it or lose it chapter is all about. Bruce, I think that's a really good way to wrap here because um, I just wanted to come back and circle back to that idea of what habits you can put in place in your life practically. I mean, literally the things that you can do, not just the ideas that you can have, but the things you can do in your financial life to support the habit and to support the paradigm of a new monetary system. And I think you've just covered some profound ones that many people don't think about. And then I would just say, always making sure that you're thinking about how do I use capital? How do I use my own capital? Not necessarily do you always have to use your own capital. Sometimes it may make more sense, not because of interest rates, but sometimes maybe it makes sense to keep your capital because you don't want to use it for something. You want to take a loan or um, use some some other form of financing because you value holding on to that capital. And while you could use that capital, maybe you would rather keep it and pay monthly for a short time and then pay off the loan. There's certain ways that you can strategize, but the value is not on how do I pay less interest or how do I keep this in my monthly expenses? How do I keep my monthly expenses within a certain range? That's not really the starting point for making these decisions. It's really how do I control capital and what is going to give me the most options today and in the future? So another thing that I would say and what habits you can have in place is make sure you're always paying back with interest. And this almost goes without saying, because if you take a policy loan, you're going to begin accruing interest on that loan. There's going to be a uh, an amount due back. And now you do not have to pay that on the insurance company's schedule. It's called an unstructured loan for a reason, meaning you get to set the timelines and the uh, schedule that you're going to repay that loan. However, it's irresponsible to think, I'm going to take a policy loan. I'll figure out how to pay it later. You really don't want to do that. You really want to be in a position of saying, if I'm going to take a policy loan, I want to be responsible with a habit to have capital set aside to go ahead and repay that loan on a fixed schedule so that that's automatically coming out of my bank account and going to repay my policy loan at interest. And you want to make sure you're doing that in a timely fashion because that's being a responsible banker. So these are just some habits in your infinite banking life that we can help support you with because it's not just about getting the policy in force. That's a step of the process. I would say it's not the first step and it's not the last step. I mean, the first step is really building the education, building the habit of saving, building those good money habits, and then using infinite banking to best support that good savings habits with those good savings habits with a policy and with a um, a tool that really gives you the most benefits. However, the end of this is not just getting the policy and sitting it on the shelf. It's really using and driving this policy and figuring out the most productive way to develop your habits all around that monetary system so that it can work the hardest for you over your lifetime. Bruce, anything you want to say before we close? No, I just want to thank everybody for listening today. We had a lot of great engagement for a lot of people were listening and um, a couple of people commented that they are really appreciative that we do this and we're inspired to do this. Uh, I am inspired to keep Nelson's legacy going. And uh, because I think he has helped a tremendous amount of people and we're only on the tip of the iceberg. We're going to be announcing some very exciting things from the Nelson Nash Institute Practitioners Council that are going to be Nelson centered. Mm. And we're going to be releasing a lot of information to the public uh, that will be coming from Nelson's mouth himself because Nelson, Nelson did, did a tremendous amount of uh, production of his thoughts on the infinite banking concept, and they're going to be released uh, to the general public here 
so that you really understand the why Nelson thought this was so important. One from his own discovery and two from his Austrian way of thinking. Bruce, that comes back to one question. I can't remember who asked it today, but the question was, how often do you recommend reading the infinite banking book? And I think yeah. Yeah, JJ asked it. Okay. And I think what's really great about that question is you're already aware that it's something you should study because it's not just a read one time. I got all the answers. It all completely makes sense. I can now implement 100% effectively and my life has changed. You're probably going to have a lot of transformation the first time you read it, but continuing to go through the material on a regular basis and making sure that you are um, digging deep into these principles is really what's going to help you stay centered on using your policy really well. So I would I would recommend continuing to reread it all the time. Um, I was just, uh, my daughter, who's 11, is reading Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan right now. And it's a similar type of book. It's something that you're going to read multiple times. You're going to uncover and unpack deeper truth and meaning from things that you probably didn't quite understand the first time when you read the book. And so it's something that you can make a conscious study of on a regular basis if you truly want to grow. So Dig into this book. If you need help finding it, you can reach out to us, send us an email at hello at the money advantage, and we can help connect you with um, the right resources. So you can get your copy. I think you can get it straight on Amazon, um, Mm -hmm. becoming your own banker. You can also go to the Nelson Nash Institute to get the book. And um, we just would love to be able to answer any questions that you have about the book and about infinite banking in general. So thank you so much for being with us on the show today. It's really great to have the, um, the dialogue back and forth and to see that we have people that are watching live. And I just want to say, I'm so thankful that <laughs> there was no active labor happening right now. We're definitely in the the final stretch of um, getting close to delivery here. We're in early labor right now, but nothing too crazy. So um, thankfully that didn't uh, disrupt the show in any way this morning. And so hopefully um, Bruce is actually going to be taking the podcast for the next couple of weeks. We'll be delivering a baby by Friday. We'll be induced if we haven't delivered already. So um, wish me luck with that. We'll be introducing baby boy Marshall to the world and to the money advantage soon. So um, you'll be seeing Bruce for the next couple of weeks. And um, if you have questions about the infinite banking concept, or if you just have questions about your financial life and you want to keep in control more of your money, you want to be in a position of making ideal financial choices and thinking differently about maybe things that you've done in the past and really thinking, what is the best way for me to control capital and have a personal monetary system that supports my goals? We'd love to talk with you. And you can book an appointment with our advisors by going to themoneyadvantage.com. Right on the front page, you can connect to their calendar. And that is an opportunity for you to find out if we're the right team to support you. And if you are the right fit for working with our team, it's a dialogue, it's getting to know each other, and really finding out what you are wanting to accomplish. And I promise there will be no four-minute conversations and sending you an illustration because we don't believe in working that way. We really want to get to know you and what's important to you and help you accomplish your goals to the best of our ability. So thank you for being with us today. And in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated 
nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated, and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.